All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Dropping the Gloves. Thank you for joining us. Um, Tim's here. I'm here. Our guest is not. This is becoming a trend, Tim, that I don't want to continue. It seems like we're getting ghosted. Why is that? That's It's not a trend. Who else did it happen with? I don't know. Tyler Myers? There was one player, I think, who didn't come up. But yeah, not. it's not a trend. It's not a trend. We don't get ghosted, John. We're too big. We're too popular. Tim told me before the show, everybody, that we had a chance to win a podcast award, but he was too busy. He didn't submit our entry. All the other big guys submitted their entry. Spit and Chicklets, 32 Thoughts, Cam and Strick, all the other ones. Cam and Strick aren't on the list. They didn't even get nominated. We got nominated, but you have to fill out a quick survey, like with Give Better, and Tim was too busy. There's no that. nominations. Someone DM me saying, "Hey, if you want to enter to for these podcast awards, go ahead and do it." And I didn't. I'm not doing that. You it, don't like awards? I got one right here. Rookie of the Year, Junior B. I've awards Thorold, too. Blackhawks. Did you know I won that Rookie of the Year award? I didn't even score a goal all year long. Eleven assists. Thorold Blackhawks. Was that the Rookie of the Year for your team or for the league? The league. I didn't know that. The league voted on by the press, so it's not even like a popularity contest with the fans, which I do very well with. <laughs> it was the media, and I was just this lanky rookie. They, One of my buddies is doing a series. One of our rinks in town is getting torn down, Jack Gatecliff Arena, and he's doing a series called um, Best Memories at Jack Gatecliff. They haven't asked me yet. I'm a little, I'm a little upset about that, but... Um, one of my memories would be dominating my hometown team because they always cut me. I was cut by this hometown team, Tim, the Ju- the St. Catharines Falcons, three straight years. Three straight years, they they cut me. And then my third year, I tried out for the local, uh, the town over, Thorold. I tried out for their team after I got cut from St. Catharines. Made that team. The way the politics work in Canada, your rights are owned by a certain district. Mine was owned by St. Catharines. I had to pay St. Catharines to get released from my rights with them, even though they didn't want me to play on their team. Isn't that wild? And and my dad had to pay them. And we didn't make a lot of money at the time. We were very poor, not very poor. Like, but we, you know, I would buy used equipment and he gave him like a couple thousand dollars. 
so slimy. It's just, and then I went to Thorold, dominated. We were, we were the best team. We won the Golden Horseshoe. We were a great team, went to the Southern Cup finals, lost in game six, I believe. And like, that, which is the all-encompassing Ontario Junior B. We had a great season, great run. Stupid St. Catharines Falcons. So my, my best memory would be the day it gets bulldozed to the ground because they never signed me. And so I would be the contrarian to everybody else saying, I love that rink. I had so many great memories and no, no good memories in that rink because they cut me three years in a row. That's pretty but slimy of them to do that for like a teenager, for that, for that to be the rule where if, if you get cut, like I understand like, Hey, I can't go play for wherever I want. If we want yeah. to play here, but if I cut you, you should be free. Like we're I know. Teenagers in junior B. This is crazy. Junior B. I would have been 15 or 16 years old and they kept cutting me. And yeah, I went and tried out for the neighbor team, which is a small town Thorold, like, like very small, probably like a few thousand, maybe 10,000 people in the town. Great hockey program. Nathan Horton was on my team. Never heard of him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was the team. And so one of my best memories of Jack Gatecliff Arena was we were playing the St. Catharines Falcons that year and there was a big brawl. And we used to brawl all the time in junior B. It was a very physical league. Their tough guy finished beating up someone on our team and he skated to center ice and challenged our whole bench. I'm like, here we go. I stepped over the bench and I beat the snot out of him right at center ice. It was unbelievable. It was chef's chef's kiss. We won the game. He thought he was, he was like five ten, five eleven, but just stocky and like, just like really, you know, a gamer. I, it was like Andre the giant stepping over the top rope. You know how all the other wrestlers would go through the second and third rung? They'd lift it up and go under. I stepped over the top rope, just didn't even have to jump. My foot touched the ice when I stepped over. Oh, Tim, one of my greatest fight moments of my life. Center ice. Refs just let us go. I got suspended a bunch of games, but it was great. It was awesome. So you were about 16. Were you already 6'8 at that point? No, I was probably 6'6". Yeah. But not wow. and nowhere near 200 pounds. I was probably 6'6", 170. Very skinny. But I knew how to handle myself. You know, I, I could... And it was great. I just ragdolled him. Absolutely ragged. Beat the tar. It was great. Absolutely great. One of those moments, because you I was still in high school, all the guys in the Falcons went to my school. And I just walking through the halls like I own the place. You know what I mean? I was just... Here comes the John. Like I want to use other language, but I can't. But it was, yeah, it was fantastic. One of the greatest memories. I love it. And uh, we actually do have a guest in the room now. So I'm going to take a quick pause and we'll let him in. Well, everybody, I take back everything I said about the guest because he's here now. So I, it, it was Tim's mistake. So let's blame Tim, but he's with us now, Dale Arnold. Before we get to Dale, I just want to briefly tell everyone. You, you know what I'm going to say. Go to givebetter.com app slash dtg this episode is brought to you by our friends at give better all you got to do go to that website give better.app slash dtg take a quick survey you'll be entered to win two tickets to any any nhl game of your choice at any date any time lower bowl fantastic tickets go to give better.app slash dtg it's coming up tim less than 10 days away so get get there Take that survey. It's like two questions. Very, very simple. Win yourself some hockey tickets. Then on top of it, you can be a part of the movement of social responsible gambling. Every bet you lose, you get 25% of that bet going to charity. All right. Moving up. Dale Arnold. How's it going, my friend? This is our first time meeting, but I just wanted to say great book. 
Tough guys right here. I love a good tough guy book. I wrote one myself. Mine's garbage. Yours is fantastic. So (laughs) pick up Dale's book. If you got a chance, it's available everywhere. Just Google it. Tough guys, Dale Arnold. Um, I have some problems with the book. Sure. Why was I not consulted? Well, it's it's funny you should say that because I was going to start with this story. All right, let's hear Uh, it, Dale. On several other of these interviews that I've done, I've been asked on a number of occasions, was there a guy you didn't get? Was there an interview you wanted to do that, you know, you just didn't work out or somebody turned you down? And I can honestly, truly say this and hand to my heart, no one turned me down. But there were some people I I didn't have a way to reach. And Mm. I had a list of guys. I really wanted to talk to Tiger Williams at some point. Obviously, couldn't get in touch with him. Uh, when I wrote, co-wrote Sean Thornton's book with him, you came up in that book on a okay. couple of occasions. In fact, Sean's wife, Erin, said uh, you were the one guy who scared her because the first time she saw him play in which he did what he does for a living, you threw him over the dasher and into the bench. And uh, so you were on my list. You were a guy who, when I was going to write about tough guys, I wanted to talk about John Scott. Mm. And I tried and tried. And I said, hey, do you know a way I can reach him? Does this guy know? Does that guy know? I started working on this a year and a half ago. Uh, And unfortunately, uh, nobody either would give me or could give me a way to reach out to you. You would have been in this book had had I been more successful in reaching out. That's unfortunate. Well, I guess I'll give you a pass on this. That's funny, Sean Thornton. He's a good guy. He's a great guy. Uh, I co-wrote his book a couple of years ago. And, uh, and, and he talked about, you know, when you do what you did for a living, what he did for a living, uh, in his case, he said he was always punching up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he didn't mean just with you. He just meant in general. He was not a classic heavyweight, quote unquote. And you certainly know this better than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you were a classic heavyweight. Uh, there's a couple of guys in this book. Archie Henderson was six foot five, six foot six, 225 pounds at a time when that was big. Yeah. Those, that, that was a big man you know, in hockey at that stage, you were that guy as well. Um, you didn't have to punch up it probably at least not very often in the course of your career. Sean was a guy who said he had to punch up all the time. Yeah. He was the one guy who I was actually nervous to fight as well because he fought big guys quite regularly and he knew how to handle himself. Like he, he would go up against Derek Bugard regularly and do very well. And so I was lucky enough to catch him on a bad day. And I just had a, a, a good outing versus Tim's a Boston guy. He's got the Bruins gear in his back. Oh, I've I, seen the background there. Yeah. Yeah. It's very small, very tiny little go Bruins. He's not overly on the Bruins bandwagon, it's understated. but yes, it's understated. it's understated. That's what he and says. And you don't have your Red Sox hat on today. Like I've seen you on other episodes of the show. So understated. it's embarrassing. I overdo it too much. John doesn't, John doesn't <laughs> let me do it. So, Dale, let's get into this book, because uh, I want to know why. Why a tough guy's book? Do you just are you yeah. drawn to tough guys? What, what was the impetus of this book? I started my career in hockey in 1979 uh, with the main Mariners of the American Hockey League, which at that point was the Philadelphia Flyers farm team. And I don't have to tell you guys what the Flyers were like in the late 70s, early 80s. They were skilled. the Broad Street bullies for a re- yeah, very skilled. Uh, and, and the main Mariners were the American Hockey League version of the Philadelphia Flyers. And names that might mean something to you guys, maybe not to our audience as much, you know, guys like Dave Poida and Jim Cunningham and Glenn Cochran, and I could go on and on and on and mm-hmm. on. Uh, so those were the, the teams I grew up around, the teams that I worked around. I spent seven years in the American Hockey League before going up to the NHL with the New Jersey Devils. But as the years went on, there were more and more players like that, with Mel Hewitt and Archie Henderson and Jay Miller and 
Alan Stewart. And, you know, there were a lot of guys who, who fit that category. In general, I find hockey players to be the easiest professional athletes to deal with. But in that group of hockey players, there's a subset of tough guys who I find are even easier to deal with, more forthcoming, more willing to share, more willing to tell stories. And I loved talking to those guys over the course of my career. Uh, when I had the opportunity to write my third book and I had just come off the Sean Thornton book, I said, you know what? I told Sean's story of a tough guy. I'd like to tell a story of a bunch of tough guys. And thankfully, Triumph Books said, yeah, go ahead and do it. So why why this group? There's a, It's obviously slanted towards the Bruins fairly heavily. I know a lot of the guys in the book, but was there any selection process? Because you, you run the gamut of just well-known names like uh, Matthew Barnby, Milan Lucic, to lesser-known guys like Bobby Robbins and Archie Manning and those types. What what went into picking these guys? Uh, some of it was guys that I knew. Uh, yep. I couldn't envision this book without Terry O'Reilly in it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I've known Terry for 30-some-odd years. Um, and I say this all the time, and John, I don't know if you know him, if you've had an opportunity to talk to him. Never. On the ice, on the ice, he was as big and tough and mean and nasty as anybody has ever played the game. Off the ice, I can tell you this honestly, he's the sweetest, kindest, gentlest man maybe I've ever met. Hmm. And I couldn't help but say, I can't write a book about tough guys unless I start with Taz. And I'll just give you a quick story. I had called him. He had already agreed to do the book. I had called and left a message. He called me back and he said, Dale, I'm sorry. I'm late getting back to you. Uh, I was out skating. Now, right now he's 71. At the time we talked, he was 70. He'd had both knees redone and hips, and shoulders and all this stuff. And I couldn't help but ask the simple question, why? <laughs> and he said, well, I wanted to see if I still liked it. And I said, did you? And he kind of laughed and he said, maybe you better ask me tomorrow. And that's the kind of guy that he is. It started there. It went from there. And then I, you know, I was just trying to reach out to guys that I knew or had worked with. Um, everybody I talked to put Dave Brown on the list of one of the toughest guys who's ever played the game. Well, I knew David when he started his minor league career with the Maine Mariners. He and Daryl Stanley were the, the linchpins of that tough Mariners team mm -hmm. back then. I've known David for a long time, uh, reached out to him. I knew Archie Henderson from when he was, you know, with the Maine Mariners. Uh, and then the Bruins connections were obviously easy. Jay Miller, Chris Nyland, although Chris is primarily known for his time with the Canadians, but I knew him from when he was with the Bruins briefly as well. And I'm, I'm really happy you brought up Bobby Robbins because he's the name in this book that most people probably won't even know. Uh, his NHL career lasted three games. Yeah. He, at the age of 32, he made the Bruins opening day roster, was the oldest rookie to make an opening day roster in NHL history. He knew he was going to fight that first night. It was just a question of who. He did. He fought. He got rocked. Now, he had spent, you know, how many years trying to get to this point? He sure as heck wasn't going to let a single fight derail this thing. So he didn't say anything. And he didn't tell the trainers. He didn't tell the coaches. Played his second game, and he got rocked again. Mm. And by the time he played his third game, he was in trouble. And he knew he was in trouble, but he did it. He got rocked a third time, and that really was the end of it. He played those three games oh. in the NHL, went back to Providence of the American Hockey League, really didn't get to play much there because the, the damage had been done. But he's so damned honest. He's so willing to share. Uh, Dale, we've had a lot of fighters on this show, and obviously we talk a lot about it with John's background. 
I'm curious, now that you've interviewed so many for this book, what are some of the things you've seen that they all have in common in their approach to the game on and off the ice? I haven't asked John this yet because we've already gone over the fact that he should be in this book, but isn't. My guess is he'd answer the same way all of them answer. When I ask every single one of them, if you had to do it over again, would you do it differently? Every single guy said, nope. I knew what I signed up for. I knew what I was doing. I knew what the job was. I knew what it entailed. I would do it again. And I do the exact same thing. Now, where they differ a little bit is I ask them about, are they concerned at all about the long-term effects like Bobby Robbins had of what making a living that way did to them? For the most part, they're not that concerned. A couple admitted that they think about it from time to time. PJ Stock said to me one time, he said, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I say to my wife, do I not remember stuff just because I'm getting old? Or do I not remember stuff because I took too many shots to the head? And he makes a joke out of it, but he's serious. He, you know, he's got concerns about that stuff. Uh, but every single one of them said, I knew what I was doing. I knew what the job was. I'd do it again tomorrow. I haven't asked John this, but my guess is he'd say the exact same thing. No, without a doubt. Yeah, I think I don't, I've never met anybody who would not do it the way they've done it. Maybe they regret a fight or two here and there, but... Right. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. Everybody knew what they were signing up for. It's just, it's the nature of the beast. So it's, um, sorry, I was just watching that Bob, Bobby Robbins fight. He fought Luke Shan. And I was like, okay, let me check yeah. out this fight. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I just think everybody knew what they were doing, what they were signing up for. And I think it gets a misconception of, I don't know. It, it's such a tricky thing because, I don't love fighting. I've never loved fighting on the ice, but it's something that I had to do. And I, I just think everybody took pride in it. It was one of those deals where it was a select few that could fight because it's a hard job to do. And Bobby did it and everybody did it. And PJ stock and all these guys did it very well. So I, I'm glad you're writing this book because people can get a different perspective on just what it takes to be a tough guy, because it's not, it's not, it's not easy. I think people just think, oh, they're, they're tough guys. They go out and they're, they're, you know, they just fight and it is what it is. It's stinking hard. It's, it's very hard to do, but I don't know. Tim, you got another one? Yeah. Do you guys talk at all in, in these interviews about who they thought were the toughest people of all time? Yeah. And, and a couple of them are in this book, Terry O'Reilly for the guys who were old enough, uh, got mentioned a lot by a lot of people, but you had to be of a certain age. Mm -hmm. uh, J Jamie Huscroft in the book tells me a story. He's playing for the devils. And Taz is coaching the Bruins. And at the old Meadowlands Arena, you'll remember this, John, the two teams went off in the exact same uh, doorway there to go yeah. to their respective dressing rooms. And the Devils are going off the ice. And Taz is standing there. He's the coach of the Bruins now. And Jim Kite looks at Taz and he says, F, and he doesn't get the U out. And Terry goes, boom, boom. <laughs> two right to the face. And Kite goes down like he's been shot. And at that point, Jamie Huscroft said, we picked him up. We carried him back to the locker room. We never said a word. We never said anything to Terry O'Reilly. We just carried him back. There was no media down there. Nobody knew. Nobody said anything. Nobody said, hey, did you see what O'Reilly did? But that's the kind of tough guy he was. Dave Brown was a guy who got mentioned a lot by a lot mm -hmm. of people. And I don't, did you ever get to fight him, John? Oh, gosh, no, thankfully. Cross? No, no. I think he was about 10, 15 years before me. I wanted to ask you as... Have you noticed toughness change? Because you've been around yeah. the game for a long time. What was it like growing up? You mentioned with the, the team in Maine and then the old Bruins. And fast forward to now. How has it changed throughout the decades? 
the single biggest thing was is bench clearing brawls. And and I, I'm going to be honest with you. I loved calling fights as a play-by-play announcer. Mm-hmm. Fans loved watching fights as fans. What was Grape's old line? You know, nobody ever went to get popcorn when a fight broke out. Uh, I liked calling fights. Mm-hmm. I hated bench clearing brawls. It was the one time where I thought guys could get hurt. And I mean, you know, hurt. You don't know yeah. what's coming. Things, you know, can sneak up on you. Mike Milbury talked about that in the book, that it was pretty common back when he was playing, but he didn't like it. Uh, Archie Henderson tells the story of uh, in the eye. There's a bench clearing brawl and Willie Trognitz takes a stick, two hand baseball swing right across Archie Henderson's face. Boom, down. No Trognitz gets suspended for life, by the way, for this one hit against Archie Henderson. And Archie said, you know, if two guys, John, if you're if you're lined up against Archie Henderson, you guys know what's going on. Yep. You've made an agreement. We're going to do this. You can protect yourself. He could protect himself. You can't protect yourself in a bench clearing brawl. There's too many things going on, too much happening. It was fun in the book to get both Chris Nyland's and Dave Brown's perspective of that famous bench clearing brawl pregame in the playoffs between the Flyers and the Canadians. Mm-hmm. And it was the it was the bench clearing brawl that really changed the game. Even Grapes said it was an embarrassment to hockey. Even Grapes, as much as he loves fighting, yeah. said we can't, we got to get rid of this. And they did. That that was it for that. But they both offered their perspectives of they were in the they were in the dressing rooms. You know, their stuff is off. Uh, and, and they talk about running out onto the ice and and Brownie's trying to get his elbow pads on while he's running out on the ice so that if he does fall, at least his elbows will be protected. Um, there, there were guys literally on the ice in their showers, uh, flats. No know, kidding. And, and trying to fight during this thing. Brawls are the biggest difference. Some guys have said, and maybe, I don't know if you agree with this or not, John. Some guys have said, fighting not necessarily being part of it, but toughness is lacking in today's game. Just toughness. Yeah. And one of the one of the parts of that obviously is fighting, but there's a lack of toughness in the game now that you see pretty prevalent, I think. Well, what do you think toughness is though? Is toughness just punching or is toughness no. just it's an all-around all-encompassing like can a star player can David Posternock be tough? So what I saw, do you I saw think Patrice is a tough Ber- player. I saw Patrice Bergeron play a Stanley Cup final game against the Chicago Blackhawks with a broken rib and a punctured lung. And I saw him finish the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was with Claude Julian walking out to our cars when he got the call from the trainers telling him what was going on and that they had to get Patrice to the hospital. And so, and Patrice Bergeron, as you know, as gentlemanly a player as, as ever played the game, yeah. tough as nails. I mean, he, he was tough and would play through that stuff. So, no, you don't have to fight to be tough. You have to be tough to be tough. You have to be willing to put up with stuff. You have to be willing to, to give a shot, to take a shot and, and, you know, play through some things and persevere. I do think that some of that's lacking in, in the game this day and age. Do you see that? Do you think that's holding teams back? Because the Bruins have had a great run. They, they've had successful team after successful team. Do you think that was lacking with them last year? They bring in some guys who were maybe considered to be tough and it didn't really work out, but they should have walked through the playoffs. What what happened with them? It's a legitimate question. And believe me, I wish I knew because the the end of their season was the end of my career because I retired mm. at the end of the season. That's when they gave me this thing. Mm-hmm. So believe me, I was hoping it was going to end differently than it did. 
Uh, Brian Burke in the book said to me, he thought the last team that toughed their way to a Stanley Cup title was the St. Louis Blues against yep. the Bruins in 2019, mm-hmm. where they just beat the crap out of the Bruins. Kevin Miller was hurt, couldn't play. Uh, I do think that that had a lot to do with how the Bruins could and could not respond to how the, the Blues played them. But even Brian said, you probably can't tough your way to a cup nowadays, the way the game is played. Uh, you know, you, you probably have to have that guy on the fourth line. And John, you've talked about being on that fourth line and where you sit in the, in the dressing room and where your stall was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there aren't a lot of spots sometimes for those guys nowadays. You've got to be able to contribute something. Sean could do that. Sean yep. could play some, you know, could do some other things. Uh, they don't really dedicate a spot to that anymore like they have in the past. Now, Tim has this theory that if Bergeron wouldn't have played the last few games, the Bruins would have had a better chance to win. Is this there is any credence gone. to that? Because everybody Stop knew that. he was hurt, then he played the last three games, and they lost three in a row. Do, do you think maybe they should have held him out? No, I don't. Okay. Uh, you know, players play. Mm-hmm. Uh, plumbers plumb, dancers dance, players play. And he was a player. <laughs> he was their captain. And, um, yeah, uh, I agree. You know, uh, you play him if, if if he if he says he can play, and if the doctors say he can play, he plays. Simple as Gotta that. Let him play. Um, yeah, I mean he's he's you know one of your best players, and I've I've seen these things in the past. I remember one time Bork was hurt for the Bruins at one point, missed uh-huh. a, a number of games, and for whatever reason the team went on a decent run, you know, without Raymond, and and you know were able to compete and do fairly well. And I was doing sports talk radio, and somebody said to me, well what do you do with Ray when he comes back? I said, what do you, what do you do? You get him on the ice as quick as you can get him on the ice. Mm-hmm. He's you, you build teams around players like that. You don't sit them. You don't, you know, don't dress them. So yeah, I, I think when Bergeron can play, he plays and you, you play him with, a lot. The best you have. Yeah. 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 That's good. Tim, Tim, you got any questions? I know you're a big Bruins guy, so you're probably loving this. Well, yeah, I want to ask about the Bruins this season because they've been just as good, if not better than last year, even though they're missing, like, obviously Bergeron and Krejci, but all those deadline additions they made, all these key players, how have you seen them do it? Goaltending uh, is at the top of the list. I think they've got the best goaltending duo in the National Hockey League in Swayman and Olmark, mm-hmm. and I put them in that order, by the way. And I know Olmark won the Vezina last year. To me, Swayman's been the better goaltender this year. Um, I think goaltending's been you know, the top of the list defensively they're not bad they're still going to have troubles scoring goals and they've had some problems scoring goals this year but there's a, a mentality within the organization then you can go back to the days of Zdeno Chara and leading up to you know Patrice Bergeron and now with Brad Marchand uh, a leadership the way they operate uh, 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 an ethos within the organization uh, they they don't settle they don't accept um, and you know if you can play, you're expected to play well. You're you're expected to go out there and do the damn job. And uh, they've been better than I expected at this point. Hell, they were better last year than I expected. And I, I kept waiting for them to lose, and they never did, for God's sakes. It was like a steamroller. Um, I, I assume at some point they'll regress to the mean a little bit. I don't think they'll go through this. But you got to say this about Jim Montgomery. Since he took over his coach, replacing Bruce Cassidy, he's got an 831 winning percentage as the head coach of the Bruins. I mean, that's silly numbers. In the regular uh, season. I know. That's fair. Absolutely. But I'm just saying, 831 is 831, John. <laughs> that's pretty good. I don't like the Bruins. Tim knows it. 
So I, I, I'm. I don't the think first... they like you very much either. So it's. Probably I did easy. have a lot of bad press there, and Sean Thornton had a lot to do with that. Same with Chara and Lucic. But um, do you think the Bruins can win with Charlie McAvoy the way he plays? He's a dirty player. Um, I think everybody knows it. Did you think the Buffalo thing was? I didn't think oh, that was intentional malicious. at all. Malicious. Oh, God, no. Just I mean, in, Thankfully, we're thousands of miles apart, and I can say oh, this stuff, but you're word. crazy. Come on. <laughs> he is just – it's it's reckless. It's dangerous that he's out there. Do you I, – I, I'm kidding. I think he's one of the best defensemen in the league, obviously. But So you think their major issue is depth at scoring? You don't think they have enough horses to, to kind of compete with other teams? I give credit where credit is due here as well. Charlie Coyle has stepped up his game pretty dramatically in the early stages of this season. I'm really mm-hmm. happy for him. Uh, Pasternak has actually taken his game to another level. We're talking about a guy who had 61 goals last year. Yeah. So, you know, how many other levels are there? But he's been a better all-around player this year than he was last year. So you've got some guys who have kind of stepped up, kind of done the job. Uh, I do expect depth to be an issue. Uh I, I, as long as you're good in goal and they're really good in goal, you're always going to be in the games. It's a question of whether they can get enough done to win the games. And so far, you know, they've only lost twice for crying out loud. All right. I want to rewind it back uh, a few years with the Bruins when they let, let go of Bruce Cassidy. Now, yep. Krejci left. He didn't want to play for him. Maybe Pasta didn't want to resign because he didn't want to play for Cassidy. There was a lot of rumors swirling. You were an insider. You knew the inner workings. Was Cassidy just too tough on these guys or just all soft prima donnas and they wanted a little players coach? Someone to why pat him uh, on the back? Why didn't Krejci, why did Krejci retire after this past season? Well, because he didn't win the Stanley Cup because his feelings were hurt. He wanted an easy cup. I, I guess what I'm saying is it's, it's too easy a storyline to say that he didn't play because Cassidy was here. Uh, I don't believe that. Um, okay. And, and, you know, he came back with Montgomery. If, if Cassidy was the problem, he'd still be out there playing right now. Uh, I've never, ever, ever believed the stories out there that Bergeron was, was a, a problem for Cassidy. I've known Patrice Bergeron since the day he walked through the door as an 18-year-old. Mm-hmm. It, it, it would never happen. Not with him. Maybe other guys, but not with him. He would never, you know, reef a coach or, or a teammate or anything like that. Uh, Cassidy was, was tough, but... He didn't say anything to the media that he hadn't already said to the guys in the room yeah. before he came out and spoke to the media. And uh, I'm, I'm working on book number four right now, which is about coaches. And similar to the tough guys where I give each coach a different chapter and, and we talk about it. And uh, I spent a couple of hours with him down on the Cape this summer at his, at his summer home. And we talked about, did you feel vindicated when, you, when the final horn sounded and you go out onto the ice with Vegas and you've won a Stanley Cup championship. And he said, vindication probably isn't the right word because that would indicate that I thought I'd been done wrong. He's got an interesting take, John. He says coaches should sign a five-year deal. And at the end of the five years, it's over. You mm. go somewhere else. He thinks there's a shelf life. And that, you know, you can only listen to the same coach for so long. Uh, ironically, if you're a Patriots fan right now, you, know, you got yeah. a guy who's been coaching here for 20 years and you, and you wonder whether they're still listening to him. So Bruce has said, you sign a five-year deal. At the end of the five years, you move on, you go find another team. It's an interesting take. I, I don't think he was too tough on the team. Um, I, I think he was, he was a demanding coach. 
but demanding coaches have won. I think John Cooper's a demanding coach. Mm-hmm. And he's the dean of coaches in the in the National Hockey League for me right now. Uh, you know, there are certain expectations, and there should be. If you're playing in the National Hockey League and making a very good wage to do it, damn it, I should expect your best efforts. Oh, as I an agree. Owner, as a coach, as a player, as a fan, I should expect that. I totally agree. Do you think there's a problem with, and I don't want to paint with broad strokes here, but the younger generation maybe not used to the criticism or the the feedback they get from certain coaches. Well, just I I think there's something to be said for the fact that kids from eight, nine, ten years old up through high school, up through college or juniors, uh, they get their their bums patted and their backs mm-hmm. patted and the arm around the shoulder, and it's not your fault. And and a big part of that, frankly, is when they're in the car going home with the parents. Yeah, damn coach, he didn't know what to do with you. He didn't know how to get the most out of you. And you guys have probably seen it. I certainly have seen it in the past as well. And then all of a sudden, when, when you know, you're getting paid to do this for a living and, and there are some demands being placed on how hard you work and what you get done, you don't quite know how to handle it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, music to your ears, John. <laughs> it is. So we'll move on to just kind of a, a rapid fire question, Dale. I've got just a handful of questions. We'll kind of keep it quick. And it's quick because it's Quick Hits brought to you by DoorDash. For quick delivery, use Nation25 for 25% off and free delivery only in Canada. Coming soon to the United States as Nation25, all caps. First question, Dale. Of all the new additions, including JVR, Lucic, Shattenkirk, Geeky, and all those young kids like Patois and Beecher, who's impressed you the most this year? So far, I'd have to say probably Patois. Um, you know, he's a kid who, I, I'm not trying to make this equation, okay, and I know this is quick hits. He's not Patrice Bergeron. Mm-hmm. But it reminds me of an 18-year-old Patrice Bergeron second-round pick who came in and from the first day of training camp simply said, it can't cut me. I'm not going to give you a reason to. And he's done that. And you know his play has dropped off a little bit, to be expected. I expect that it'll pick back up again as well. Who's the most underrated player on the Bruins? Brandon Carlo. Hmm. Um, I, you know, a, a very, very good defensive defenseman. He's not going to light up a lot of points. He did score the other night, but, you know, that's not part of his game. Uh, but he has shown a, a much greater willingness over the last couple of years to be a physical presence in front of the net, to play the body much more, excellent defensive defenseman, and I'd say uh, criminally underrated. Will the Bruins win a playoff round this year? Yes. Of course, I thought they were going to win four of them last year so what the hell do i know <laughs> you're talking yeah. to the wrong guy here but yes i think they'll want to play off round and I, I think you've already answered this question but if the playoff started today who's your who's your net and star, starter in net uh jeremy swayman if it was today and there's a whole hell of a lot of hockey to be played between now and then uh, i think jeremy's been the best of the two goaltenders so far they've both been great don't misunderstand me uh but swayman if, if there was a playoff game tonight for the bruins and i'm jim montgomery swayman gets the call Last question. Where can our listeners find your book? Everywhere. Amazon, Indigo up in Canada, uh, Barnes and Noble, uh, your, your favorite bookstore. Uh, if you want, buy it, send it to me, and I'll write something by hand in there about John Scott so that he can stop <laughs> whining about it. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll insert him into the book somehow. Uh, I hope people enjoy it. I, I wanted to give these guys a chance to tell their story because mm-hmm. most of the time, Probably appropriately so. It's the stars who get all the ink and all the pub. Uh, but these guys are fun to talk to. John was, I'm sure, when he played. Now, you started this thing by ragging on me, Scott. 
Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I didn't love the all-star thing Yeah, when it happened. As, as a hockey fan, as a lifelong hockey guy, uh, I didn't blame you, by the way. Uh, I, I blamed the people who thought they well, were sending some message. because you got stupid Mike Milbury in your book. It doesn't surprise me that you didn't like the All-Star game. There's two guys who didn't like it. I can have an like opinion it. of my own. That, grumpy, that grumpy prick Mike Mulberry <laughs> and you are the only two guys who didn't like the All-Star game. So it doesn't surprise me, Dale. I know it. Uh, and I didn't get that from Milbury, thank you very mm-hmm, much. Mm-hmm, he and mm-hmm. I disagree most of the time, okay. actually. That's funny. Yeah, one more question for you, Dale. You mentioned yep. earlier. You said you said uh, the Bruins probably don't like it either. So John has fought a few of them. Um, obviously, with Sean Thornton, who you're your buddies with. Do you have any sense of of what that group, Chara, Lucic, Thornton, McQuaid, what they what they think of John? Oh, you know, I I haven't talked to Luch or Z. I, I've only talked to Sean, who, by the way, didn't say anything bad about John. Um, J- Sean's wife, Erin, said. He scared me because the first time I saw Sean fight, John threw him over the dasher into the bench. Yeah. Uh, Sean had no no issues. Uh, all he said about fighting John was that he would hey he had to punch up. It, he was out of his weight class and he knew it. He was willing to do it. Uh, he didn't he didn't try to seek out uh, a way to get around that. Uh, I never got the sense that that guys had any issues with John. There are, look, there are guys out there who you know I think there's not a lot of respect for, but I didn't think John was one of them. I was actually surprised because I, I obviously went to Buffalo because of the Lucic issue. Yeah, the I was Ryan ex- Miller hit. Yeah, and because yeah. of my size, I expected Z to step up and fill that gap and fight me or Luch to step up because they're bigger guys. But Sean jumped right in there for a shift. Like, he, he, that's the type of guy he is. He's just like, no, I got this. So it's good on him. He does. It, 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 it's how he made a living. Mm-hmm. He was willing. He was able. Um it's like in the, in the aftermath of the Matt Cook incident, you know, where Matt Cook basically ended yeah. Mark Savard's career. And the very next time they played at the Garden, Mark Recchi and Zdeno Chara and Sean Thornton met with Billy Guerin underneath the, the stands as the teams were coming in you know, early in the after, late in the afternoon. And they said to Billy Guerin, you go in the room and you tell Matt Cook, he fights Sean Thornton the first shift or this game is going to get ugly quick. And we're going to be all over the sports center highlights for all the wrong reasons. He's got to come out. He's got to fight Sean. He's got to handle this like a man. And you tell him if he doesn't, it's going to get bad. Billy Guerin, to his credit, said, you're right. He went in the room. He said to Matt Cook, first shift, you got to fight Sean Thornton. Now, you can read into it what you will, that Matt didn't come over the boards until Sean Thornton was about a minute 10 into a shift. Mm Mm-hmm. But he did come over. Sean went right to him. Sean hit him a few times, knocked him down. To Matt Cook's credit, I'll say that. It's the only time I'll ever say it. To Matt Cook's credit, he got back up. Sean Thornton knocked him down again, and it was over. It had been handled by men like men in, in a way that, that people who made a living that way could respect, could honor, and it was over. It was done. Didn't mean they liked Matt Cook after that. It didn't yeah. mean they... They, they liked what he did to Mark Savard anymore. It just meant, okay, we handled it. It's over. Love that. That's, that's unbelievable. Anything else, Tim? No, thanks for coming on, Dale. This has been great. Yeah, everybody, Fellas, go look at the books. It. Tough guys, go and pick it up. It's a great read. Dale Arnold, one of the best we've ever talked to. Congrats on everything. Congrats on the retirement, all your books, man. This has been great. Thanks. Thank you, guys. I'd, I'd love to talk to you anytime. Thank you. Absolutely. Everybody, have a good sh- weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Cheers. 
Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode.